Oh, come on. Wow. I love Jesus. Bryce, that verse you wrote is crazy. Yeah, what was it? Oh, wow. Get up here, man. Second Corinthians 3. Read it again. Yes. Read it again. Read it again. Good enough, my feet. I'm going to need to react. Uh, okay. <laughs> Joel. Joel. No, no, no. This one. Unmute, uh, unmute 19. Uh, I think it's 19. Yeah. Unmute. Unmute. There we go. Okay, guys. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7. The old way which laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. Wow, you want me to keep going? No, that's good. Okay. <laughs> Praise God. So Dude, much. that's crazy. That's literally crazy that we can come before the Lord with an unveiled face. That the glory that used to kill people in the Old Testament, if they were to stand in it, we can just come boldly for because of the blood of Jesus. That's nuts. Yeah. That's absolutely crazy. And I just feel like when we were worshiping God right there, some of you guys were like, what, what the heck is going on right now? And, and that's what's happening right now is the veil is torn and we're looking at Jesus like actually God like he's actually here he's real he's alive he's active it's not just we're not just singing Christian karaoke like this is this is real encountering looking at God and so man that's that's what you're experiencing and, and I just felt the Lord say before I started like oh not me I, I felt like there was someone who's like you know that's for somebody else that's not that's not for me even maybe some of you I'm gonna get into it. I'm gonna teach a little bit about this but you saw some people worship me, you're like, that's cool for them, but that's not me. But the Bible says the blood of Jesus made a way for you to enter into the holies of holies. Every single one of us, the blood of Jesus made a way, every single one of us. So you can come to God with an unveiled face. That's crazy. And so there's so much for us to unpack tonight about seeing Jesus rightly. About seeing him for who he truly is. If that's real. If that scripture is true, that the glory of God that Moses saw, I can see even greater, then there is so much for me to see tonight. And that is literally my whole prayer today is simply, I don't have tons of teaching necessarily. My hope tonight is that I would get, I would help our hearts be positioned to see him rightly. Uh, that, that we could get rid of everything that's in the way, everything that's in the way of us seeing him wrongly and just kick it out. And then we just let the Holy Spirit come and reveal Jesus. So I'm going to try to go quick. That's hard for me. You guys know that. But I'm going to try to go quick. And we, we ended a little bit early on purpose so that we could respond to this and worship when I'm done. Um, I, how many of you guys were at Inheritance this morning? Woo! A lot of you guys. I preached at Inheritance this morning. And I, I made this announcement because my throat is like really ganked right now. So I'm going to be drinking a lot of water. So just in those moments where I just stop in the middle of a really powerful statement to drink the water, just bear with me. Sound good? Let's go. Okay. Just like Shelby sung, right? It's not a want. We need him. We need a revelation of Jesus. It's not just a good idea. We need a revelation of Jesus. Our generation needs a revelation of Jesus. 
I don't know if you guys are seeing the narrative of what we've seen in our generation, right? We're seeing wildness. We're seeing suicide skyrocket. Depression skyrocket. Anxiety skyrocket. Confusion. Loneliness. All of it skyrocketing. And, and people are saying, man, Gen Z doesn't want God. The statistics are saying, you know, they're running away from Jesus. They're running away from the church. And all I have to say to that, I've been saying this over and over again, is to me, I read all that stuff, and it's not that they don't know that they don't need hope or need, you know, saving or they need a solution. They're obviously searching for it just in different places in the world. They're not, it's not that they're not hungry for God. It's just they haven't seen him rightly. Yeah. If they saw the Jesus that many of us in this room had seen, Oh, there would be a different narrative in our nation. And so that's what I just feel in my heart. Shelby was singing. It's like, guys, it's a need. It's a need for the right representation of Jesus to be put on display right now in our hour. It's not a good idea. 4% of Gen Z having a biblical worldview. Most suicidal, you know, worldly generation America has maybe ever seen. It's not a good idea. It's we need him right now. Many people would say about America, this is the first post-Christian generation we've ever seen. I love how Andy Bird said it. He said, some say post-Christian, I say pre-revival. <laughs> and I think that revival is on the other side of a right representation of Jesus. So guys, really, I just want to, I just really want to jump into it. I just want to, like I said, my heart is to help us be positioned to see Jesus rightly by the end, and then we're just going to let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Um, I'm going to be coming from Luke 7 in a second here. But I first just want to talk about, like, why is it that there's so much confusion around Jesus? There's all these different misconceptions about who Jesus is. And I believe it's because the devil knows what I just said is true. The devil knows that if a generation gets a right view of God, it's game over for him. He knows that on the other side of a generation, seeing Jesus rightly awaits a lovesick bride that is unstoppable. He knows that one right view of him will arrest the heart of an entire generation. This is why he comes so hard at us. He, and so that's, that's why we have to talk about this. We have to make this like, we got to expose it. We got to expose all these misconceptions. And so I just want to talk about a couple of them that I fall into in my own life and that I see kind of attacking our generation, misconceptions of Jesus. So there's four that came to mind when I was thinking about this with the Lord. I kind of gave them funny titles. So the first title is Genie Jesus. Genie Jesus. This is a misconception that many of our generation has about Jesus. And I fall into sometimes myself. But it's I pray only when things are going bad and when I need something from him. He's an add-on to my life. I live my life and then when I need something, I whip out my little bottle thing and I rub it and do the wish thing when I need him. He... He's never going to inconvenience me or ask me to do something I wouldn't want to do. He's to be used for my benefit. If he asks me to share the gospel and I'm on my way to lunch, must not be him. If he asks me to give, give in a way that might affect my retirement plan, must not be him. If he asks me to do something that would cause me to be slightly uncomfortable, whether it be with my friends, family, or strangers, if it costs me something, must not be him. I tell him what to do. He doesn't tell me. That's genie Jesus. That we fall into all the time. Number two, religious Jesus. Talked a lot about this this morning in inheritance, but this this revelation is he's just an add-on to my life. Like you know, I I I, uh, I just go to services. 
I kind of just go through the motions. I go to youth group. I go to church. I, I read my Bible. I just do the Sunday morning thing. You know, I, I, I know some verses and, and I'm kind to people just so that I'll get into heaven. If, if his power begins to offend my mind, must not be him because there's this box that, that he has to stay in. If he doesn't stay in this box, that, that can't be God. Seeing salvations, signs, wonders, miracles is rare. Even if we're in, in, in maybe immersed in religious practice, that's someone who sees religious Jesus. When you fall short, you hide from God's presence because you think you must be good a certain amount of days to come back to him. I fall in that all the time. So it's, an, it's a religious Jesus, not the Jesus that died on a cross so that I could come near to him. This person maybe rarely is learning new things from God. When you ask what, what's God teaching you, kind of just like, oh, no, I hate when people ask me this question. <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's a sign that you may be seeing religious Jesus. You haven't seen the Jesus that's glory to glory, that wants to show you, that wants to have a real relationship with you, that wants to know you, that wants to teach you things every day, that wants to love you. Religious Jesus view is very content with bare minimum. Very content with, all right, how do I just check the list? Sweet, good, I did it. It's religious Jesus. Number three, mean or angry Jesus. <laughs> when you think of this, you... You think of Jesus or our generation in a lot of ways has seen Jesus. They think of a guy on the side of the road holding a Turner burn sign. You, you, you only see Jesus for condemning you and shaming you. A lot of times, maybe this is where we've accidentally had Jesus misrepresented to us by people who maybe spiritually abused us or emotionally abused us or whatever. This is not who Jesus is. A lot of times, uh, me and Jesus, we rarely reflect on uh, God's mercy and love. We count ourselves out of God's love, mercy. We say, that's cool for other people. But to me, God's more of like a military general. Right? None of these that I've read are the true narrative who Jesus is. Number four, soft Jesus. <laughs> soft Jesus. Just sin as much as you want. There's no discipline. Cheap grace. You expect Jesus to make you like a hot chocolate or something when you fall short. <laughs> Tolerant of all, truth is relative because it, it might offend someone. Come on, the God I know is a God full of justice. Justice, mercy, love, power, all of these things, relationship. These are all false paradigms of who Jesus is. And so many times the paradigms that I fall into in my life. And we cannot accept right now. We cannot accept to be representing a genie, powerless, religious, condemning God. Because that's not what he paid for. The Jesus I've seen is irresistible. Full of justice, power, love, beauty, and glory. And in order to represent Jesus rightly, we must first see him rightly. So that's what we're going to talk about. Seeing Jesus rightly. But I just wanted to kind of reflect a little bit on what, what Shem was singing. He's like, it's not a want like, it's a need. Do we see what's going on in our day right now? And so the word that I felt from the Lord today was simply that he was just going to hit us with a fresh revelation of Jesus that was going to mark our summer with hunger. You know, I was, uh, Kylie made like some dessert or something like that. I can't remember what it was the other day. And I, <laughs> she, uh, I, I didn't know she was making it. And I came downstairs and I saw this really nice dessert. And I think she said something like, are you hungry? And I was like, 
Now I am. When I saw the cake. And that's kind of what I felt like Jesus said. I was like, God kind of spoke to me. That's kind of what we're going to be doing tonight. Is we're going to see Jesus and maybe areas of our heart that weren't hungry. We're like, oh, now I'm hungry. This summer, I'm going to be so full because of what I see tonight. It's going to infuse so much hunger in my heart that there's not going to be a day that goes by where I'm not growing with Jesus this summer. This is our last Sunday night before we take a break for the summer. But I feel like there's not going to be any backsliding this summer. I feel like it's just going to be continuing seeing more of him and growing him, sharing the gospel more, knowing his face more, knowing his word more. That's what I see the narrative. And I feel like the Lord is going to spark that in us tonight with a fresh revelation of who he is. No matter how, no matter if you're the leader of this movement, no matter if you're on staff with us, no matter if you just attended, this is your first time. There's a fresh revelation of Jesus for every one of us tonight. If you want it, if you want it, it's there. If you want it, the veil's been torn. Blood of Jesus brought you near. Let's all go there together. So like I said, I'm going to be talking about Luke 7. You guys know that this is a uh, scripture that's so key to us. But before I jump right into Luke 7, I want to give context for where, what Luke 3, Luke 4, Luke 5, Luke 6 kind of brings us up to until we get to this amazing moment in Luke 7 that we all love. So I was reading it. I was studying it. Um, and I was like really blown away by a lot of the stories that happened before. It's so special, but I'm just going to give a quick brief synopsis of what happened. So, um, we see John the Baptist, John the Baptist claims that this man, Jesus is carrying God's salvation. John the Baptist says this man, his sandals, I am unworthy to untie. And Jesus gets baptized. And a voice from heaven comes out and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Wild so far already, already wild. And Jesus quotes Isaiah 61. And he says, this prophecy is fulfilled through me. A wild and bold claim that says, I am the one that's going to bring good news to the poor, set the prisoner free, recover sight for the blind, set the oppressed free. There's a fun story here. I'm just doing this to kind of paint the picture of what led up to Luke 7. There's a fun story here where the people in Nazareth didn't like the message that Jesus was preaching. And so they tried to kill him. It says that they tried to throw him off a cliff. But this is the wildest part. They were about to throw him off a cliff. And this is literally all the Bible says. It literally goes from this. They're about to throw him off a cliff. And it says, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. <laughs> and that's it. Next story. <laughs> I don't know about you. I'm reading. I'm, I'm hearing all this. I'm like, this Jesus guy is a big deal. That's what, that's what I'm realizing so far. Demons keep getting cast out. They're saying, this is the Holy One of God. This is the Son of God. We saw him heal fevers. He was healing so many diseases. He healed a paralyzed man. Not only did he heal, he said he forgives sins. This is crazy. The Pharisees were shook. Like, he not only heals, he forgives sin. Who could forgive sin? Only the, the, the son of man. Only God himself can forgive sin. And this is my favorite part. Honestly, I was reading this. I'm like, this is crazy. He basically goes, I'm him. Anyone, anyone like know, watch basketball? Like Jimmy Butler or uh, Joe Burrow? They're like going, uh, that's football, I know. But, I, but I'm saying that he, he did, they kind of started coining this phrase of, I'm him, I'm him. It's like this like cocky, arrogant, like I'm the guy. And I just kind of saw this, <laughs> I kind of just saw this story. And I was like, God's like, I'm him. I'm the guy. I'm the son of man. I'm the Messiah. I'm the God. I'm the one that's been prophesied as A61. Bro, that's me. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. So several times. So all these stories happen. 
Luke 3, Luke 4, Luke 5, Luke 6. That's the narrative that we're hitting right here in Luke 7. And then several times it says, the news about him spread. The news about him spread. What news about him spread? Probably everything I just said. Probably, he's the guy who said, I'm him. Like, I don't know, maybe not exactly that. They probably didn't have that phrase back then. But, but this is what was spread. And so that's why it's so important is because this, to me, from what I understand in Scripture, at least, could be wrong, but from what I understand in Scripture, the two people that we're about to study in Luke 7, they both had the same understanding. Good, the news about him spread. This is what they heard. A guy who claimed to be Messiah, a guy who was healing diseases, fevers leaving, saying Isaiah 61, that's me, the guy who forgives sin. They all have, they, they have the same understanding of who this guy is. And then we get to Luke 7. So now open up to Luke 7, verse 36. Summary of the story. We see two responses to Jesus. Like Bryce said, one of them responded rightly. The other one didn't. One of them saw Jesus rightly. The other didn't. We see Jesus affirm one of these people and rebuke the other one. And it was tied to this, the revelation of who they saw him to be. I'm going to unpack basically in a second here. What we're going to do is we're simply just going to study what was it about this woman? What was it about her heart that positioned her to see Jesus rightly? That's all we're going to do. We're just going to look at it and be like, because we say this all the time. You guys know if you've been around us. That's why you saw a lot of us get undignified in worship is because this is a a message to us. This is essential for us. He said, we want to see him rightly. We want to respond rightly. We don't want to be like the Pharisee in the story. We're constantly saying, God, make our hearts like the sinful woman. Not in the nature of sin, but you'll see what I'm talking about here in a second. So I'm just going to read it first and then we'll go back. Luke 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating in the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him in saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Uh, Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One of them owed 500 denarii. I think I'm saying that right. And the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay, pay, pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will he love more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt to forgive. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Verse 44. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. But she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love is shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith is saved. You go in peace. Wild story. So much to unpack there. But what I want to do, like I said, is I want to look at the woman and I want to look at her heart posture. I want to look at what she was carrying because I want to see Jesus the way she saw him. 
When Jesus is in the room, I don't want to be the one who Jesus is coming to and saying, bro, do you see that guy over there? He gets it. You don't. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that Jesus says, yes, this is it. Your sins are forgiven. I love you. That's who I want to be. And I hope you want to be that guy too. So first thing I realized about this woman is that she had faith. She had faith. She took God at his word. She believed him. All those stories, the one who can save her sins, the one who healed people from fevers, the one who claimed that Isaiah 61 was about him, she believed him. She was like, I actually think that's him. How do I know that? She showed up with an alabaster jar of perfume. She showed up with a year's worth of wages. You don't just do that for an average Joe. You don't just do that for any ordinary person. She knew that this person who was in the room was of significance. How did she know that? She simply believed the words that she had heard about this man. I see a woman who was marked with faith. There was only one who could be worthy of this. Now, you know, and then she eventually goes on to pour the alabaster jar out and pour her oil and her tears and her kisses at the feet of Jesus. She knew that this man was worthy. And then we see the other opposition, the Pharisee. I would say the Pharisee is full of skepticism and unbelief. He came with no alabaster jar. So he must have not believed that these words were true. Because I don't know about you. If I hear this guy whose sandals are, John the Baptist said, unworthy to untie. He's, he's a pretty big deal. I'm not casually going up to that. So the only way I'm coming in casually is if I don't believe those words are true. And that's pretty much exactly what we see from the Pharisees. It seems like he didn't believe that all these things, the, the news that spread about him, seems like he didn't believe that that was actually true. And given the context of what, what I see in the language of the scripture, it seems to me that the Pharisee probably had at least some investigative motive for having Jesus over. The Pharisees have been questioning Jesus this entire time in his ministry. They're questioning him over and over and over again. Could this, I don't, you know, basically telling Jesus he's wrong, like, Wild thing to do, first of all. But it seems like they're questioning him over and over again. And then right before this, literally, so this was happening several chapters, but literally in the same chapter right before it, it says, basically, they rejected the teachings of God. And then the language says, when one of the Pharisees invited him over. So in my mind, if I'm reading that again, this is just what I think. This is my interpretation. It seems to me like he's talking about one of those people that just rejected him. And so if he's inviting this guy that just rejected him, it seems like the Pharisees probably not like, what? I get to have a meal with Jesus. I'm so excited. I can't wait to learn from him. I can't wait to. That, that doesn't seem to me like the narrative what I'm seeing. I see a guy who's like, who is this man? You got to figure out if he's actually telling the truth. I, there's all this commotion going on. He's healing diseases. He's doing all these things. We got to figure out what's going on with this guy. We got to calm him down. We got to calm this guy down. That, there's this investigative motive about the Pharisee. He's in unbelief and skepticism, but the sinful woman is full of faith. He came with nothing. Jesus, like he, he literally didn't even do what, again, from what I can understand, he didn't even do the standard like hospitality welcome. We see Jesus rebuke him, right? When he talks, when he says that the, you know, she has poured oil on my feet, but you haven't even done anything. Basically, I'm just going to go back and read that part. It says, do you see this woman? You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
You do not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You do not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. This shows me that it seems like there is a standard hospitality way that you welcome somebody like this. Seems like you're supposed to put oil on their head. Seems like you're supposed to wash their feet and kiss them. And he didn't even do the standard of welcoming this guy in. He didn't believe that this man was truly who he said he is, and the woman did. And so I want to just unpack how important it is to have faith when it comes to seeing Jesus rightly. So often the missing ingredient to a right view of God is simply faith. Knowledge of Jesus without faith has no power. The truths we can all quote are merely powerless without faith. The Pharisee probably heard all the same truths, but there was no power for him. Until like the woman, when she believed that everything changed. I want you to think about this in the context of, man, if, if, if we can all know the fact that Jesus is merciful. But if you don't have faith to believe that Jesus is merciful, you won't see that power. It's the same thing with all the characteristics of Jesus' goodness. We can all say, yeah, God's good. If you don't have faith that God's good, you'll probably never see his goodness. God's powerful. We can say, yeah, I believe that God's powerful. If you don't have faith, you're probably never going to see the power of God put on display. And so I started asking myself this this week. I was just like, God, man, challenge me, Lord. I want to come back to simple truths. Simple truths. Do I actually believe you? Do I, when I pray for healing, do I genuinely believe that you're a God who heals cancer? Come on. Come on, we've seen it. We've seen it in this house. God has healed cancer. Thank you, Jesus. Do I pray knowing that he always wants to partner with me and that he desires to have friendship with me? Do I seek wisdom from him knowing that he makes a fool of the wisdom of the world? Do I receive grace and love from him daily, believing that he really died so I can be completely washed? Do I preach like he actually is the savior of the world? Do I believe he's the Lord of the harvest? Do I really believe these things? So I just want to challenge us to think about this. What are ways we've seen him wrongly simply because we didn't have or we had knowledge without faith? Unbelief will block the depth to which you can go in that truth, resulting in seeing only a fraction of what's available. So later on, we're going to to unpack truths that maybe we know about God, but we haven't actually believed in our heart. And we're going to repent. We're going to get him out. It's going to be awesome. But next, I want to talk about a second thing that I see from this woman in opposition to the Pharisee, and it's humility. I see humility and purity from this woman. She was completely unconcerned about what anyone thought about her. She didn't care if people liked her. She didn't care if she got more followers on Instagram. She didn't care if she lost followers on Instagram. There was no earthly reward. She was so free of fear of man. Man, she made a scene in this place. She made an absolute scene. She was so undignified. And out of the things that humans guard most fiercely, I would say self-image has to be one of the highest. When we think about this story, we have to remember she probably wasn't ignorant to the fact of how harshly she was going to be judged for this. Her heart was probably like beating out of her chest. But she couldn't contain it. 
She couldn't contain it. She couldn't hold it in. She knew what the scene was going to cause. She knew people were going to judge her. She didn't think that one day people were going to write songs about this moment. She was the only one who thought that was cool. You know that? In the story, like everyone thought that, like, what is this girl doing? Here you can do that. And some people think you're cool. No one thought she was cool. She didn't care. She was free. She was free from fear of man. She didn't care what the world said. She made a fool of herself, broke a year's worth of wages, not just a year's worth of wages, all of her dignity with it. She was concerned about one thing and one thing only, that Jesus was in the room. A lot of times we see things like this and we're like, oh man, there's just so much emotionalism in worship. As if it's weird when looking at the Savior of the world, Alpha Omega, the King, the Lord of Lords, as if it's weird for me to be a little bit more excited about him than when the Lions score a touchdown. That makes no sense. It would be, I was talking about this this morning. It would be so weird, right? Relationship, there's love, there's emotions there. It would be so weird if you guys saw me and Kylie, and every time you saw me and Kylie, all we do is high five. That would be so awkward. You would be like, there's something wrong with their relationship. They never hug, they never kiss, they only high five. And I feel like Jesus is saying this sometimes to the church on Sunday morning. Like, what, you guys just want to high five me? This is kind of awkward. I'm the savior of the world. I love you. I saved you. I delivered you from all darkness. I set you free. I healed you. How could you just give me a high five? But so we're like, man, make sure, make sure everybody, hey, that guy's dancing. Get him out. Put him in the back. We don't want him to be a distraction. You know what I think? I think we should learn from that guy. Yeah. What is he looking at? Yeah. Anytime I get offended by the wild people in worship, I'm just like, instead of being like, man, there's something wrong with them. It's like, what are they looking at? Yeah. Teach me. I want to see what you're seeing. I want that. Show me. That's the hard posture we have to have. It's just preaching the Bible. This literally happened in the Bible. Luke said, like, the woman did exactly what we're talking about. She was the wild one. She was a wild one in the front going crazy, undignified. And Jesus affirmed her and not the Pharisee. She was free. She was pure in heart. Two chapters earlier, it says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. It's clear to me that one of these two people received the blessing of truly seeing him. One of them left changed. One left completely forgiven. One left the same. And one left like that. And you would think... (laughs) You would think that the woman titled sinful maybe wouldn't be the one that gets the blessing of pure in heart for they shall see God. That's because that's the way we think. That's not the way Jesus thinks. Purity has very little to do with the external and everything to do with the internal. I don't know about you, but I think about the story. I think about a dude in a suit and tie who's a theologian and then a prostitute on the ground. And you ask me, which one do you think God liked more? What offer you? I'm probably going to be like probably the theologian. But Jesus says, no. It doesn't matter what they look like on the outside. That woman right there pouring it all out on her at my feet. She gets it. This guy's confused. But the Lord set us free of confusion tonight. I want to see him rightly. When the Pharisee, now we're looking at the opposite. When the Pharisee makes Jesus the main character, sorry, when the sinful woman makes Jesus the main character, the Pharisee gets mad. It ruined his plans. It ruined his agenda. He starts saying, man, if this man were a prophet, he would know that this woman is sinful and all these different things. His prideful motives were exposed. 
The moment that it becomes all about him, he's mad. He's like, dang it. Man, this is all messed up. He wanted to be correct. He wanted to have control over everything. But Jesus wanted to show him who he truly was. We see right here that he only had a fraction of the understanding of seeing him truly. Right? He says this. He says, if this man were a prophet. Right there. He is a prophet. But he's also the king of the universe. And he's also the savior of the world. He's also the Alpha and Omega. He's also all these things. That's the thing right there. He settled for him as prophet when he could have seen all of this like the sinful woman saw. He saw only a fraction when he could have seen it all. And that's what pride will do. Pride will keep you seeing just a fraction of Jesus. Humility. On the other side of humility is fullness. We're a community that wants to see the fullness. Her humility and response to Jesus is what we want to model. And not only, not only did this, did Jesus, was, was he moved by her offering? This woman's response confronts the Pharisees' wrong perception of who Jesus is. And that's what we're praying for in our generation. Like, that's why I started with what I started with is because when we begin to respond rightly, they will begin to wonder who is he actually. When they start seeing a generation of people living all out, breaking alabaster jars left and right in worship, yes. But in their life, they'll be like, who is this man? Just like they said at the very end, who is this man? Her right response forced the Pharisee, forced the spirit of religion to face its wrong perception of who Jesus really is. Could we do that to a generation? Could this be a community that responds so rightly to him? Man, Michael Miller said this in Upper Room when, when we first heard a message like this. This is actually how this conviction all started. Me and Bryce were in Upper Room and Michael Miller gave this message. Then Bryce and I were on the ground for like three hours and here we are. There's a song about it and it's in our core values and all these different things. But Michael Miller said this. I think it's wild. He said, we've seen more people come to know Jesus simply by us responding rightly to their presence than anything else. I see that to be true in Upper Room, man. You go in Upper Room and you're like, who is God? I need to know this guy. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> it's exactly what he's taught. He is, they embody the culture of this woman yeah. who's responding rightly to God's presence. And the Pharisees are wondering, all right, I thought I had it figured out my whole life, but who is this guy? I want to know him. Anyway, humility. That's number two. Number three, desperation. She ran to the feet of Jesus and watch them. The role of a servant. You know what I think? I think she got there early. You want to know why I think she got there early? Because the Bible says later on, from the moment I walked in, implying that she had been there the entire time. She was desperate. She heard Jesus was going to be in this house. She, I'm running. I'm getting there early. I'm probably going to hide inside the Pharisee's house so he doesn't know that I'm there. And then when he comes, I'm just going to pop out and pour it out. I don't know if that's what happened. But the point is, she got there early. She was desperate. She wasn't going to let anything stop her from seeing this man who she had heard about. She even got rebuked right there. The Pharisee's like, do you see this woman? I don't know about you, but if I'm there responding to Jesus, some guy starts making fun of me. I might be like, all right, this isn't worth it. Whatever. I'm out. Like, but she's like, I don't even care. When you're desperate, you don't even hear what people are saying. You're so lost in him, it doesn't matter. Jesus continually teaches this in scripture. Shameless audacity. 
The persistent widow knocking. Knock, seek. The door will be open. Press in. Oh, he needs healing. Cut a hole in the roof and lower your friend in. I need healing. Can I just touch his robe? Desperation. Desperation is key to seeing Jesus rightly. We see the opposite in the Pharisee. He's so contempt. He didn't care. He, he just was like, yeah, I'll just have this Jesus guy over for dinner. It's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. It's just Jesus. What? Doesn't even make sense. <laughs> My question is, are you running to the feet of Jesus or casually waiting for him to come into your house? Are you looking for him? Are you ruined without him? Are you just chilling? Desperation sees no cost. And so that's what I need tonight. I did go shorter. Let's go. That's what I want to do tonight. Is I just want to see him rightly. We can get the band to come back up. And what, what I want to do is I want to evaluate our own hearts here. Are we genuinely desperate? Are we genuinely full of faith? And are we genuinely humble? These three things that I see the woman embody. Because unbelief, man, I, I feel like there's a lot of things in this room. I, I've even felt maybe from the Lord that there's a lot of people that have struggled with trauma. You've had things happen in your life in the name of Jesus that are not from him. When you, when you hear phrases like God is good, God is merciful, God is loving, it's really hard for you to understand that because of how much trauma you've had in your family and your life. And Jesus wants to re-represent himself to you tonight. He wants to show you who he really is. He wants to show you that he hates sin, that he hates what happened to you, and he has a redemptive plan for you. I felt that there were just simple areas of our life that God wanted to re-up our faith in believing who he really is. Ways that pride has, has robbed us. Ways that pride has kept us thinking, all right, I, I'm okay. I'm content with a fraction of God. I'm content with seeing him as just a prophet. Sounds a little bit like Islam. <laughs> I'm content with seeing him just, I want to see all of him. Do you want to see all of him, right? That, that's a, this is a house that wants to see all of him. I'm not content with just seeing a little bit of Jesus. I want to see the healer. I want to see the savior. I want to see the deliverer. I want to see Jesus, the, the Lord of the harvest. I want to see Jesus, the Alpha and Omega. I want to see Jesus, the only one who's worthy to open up the scrolls. I want to see this Jesus. And pride will rob us from that. Number three, contentment, not wanting more. It's a big one. So we're, this is a really big one I felt for us tonight. Do you want to? Like, you're you genuinely wanting to see more of God. If not, you're probably not going to see more of Him. I felt like God kind of gave me a funny phrase. You know, we say, ask not, or sorry, you have not because you ask not. I just felt Him say, you don't see because you haven't looked. Do you want to see Him? Let's look. Let's get lost in, in what we were just singing. Let's get lost in that. Could we get lost in Jesus tonight? Again, I just, I wanted to put the demand on the Holy Spirit for tonight. I can't, in my fleshly, human body, represent the deity of God and who He is, the fullness of Jesus. I can't do that. This man with a microphone on stage. We need Jesus to reveal Himself to us. 
That's why I didn't want to do anything else. I just wanted to read the story and then give space for God to come and do it. In John 15, it says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who precedes the Father, he will bear witness about me. John 16 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will glorify the Lord. He will show us who God is. Right? Jesus' whole ministry on earth was to point us to the Father. But then he left, and he left us with the Holy Spirit to then still point us to the Father. And so that's all I want to do is just create space right now for the Holy Spirit to move. Are there areas of our life that are not being led by a revelation of Jesus? What are they being led by if not? Is that why sometimes in my life it feels aimless, like I'm running in circles? It's because you haven't tapped into the eternal value, into your real purpose. I just, I, I felt like God was delivering us tonight from aimless living. I just saw people running in circles as I was praying, just running in circles. Maybe it was in our jobs or whatever. We're just like, man, why is this so dry? Why am I so unfulfilled? Why am I so like just going through motions here? What's going on? And the Lord wants to give you a revelation of Jesus in that area of your life. And you will see why you're there. See what's the depth, the eternal purpose, the eternal value, what's happening. And we settle for cheap stuff all the time. We settle for coasting and all this stuff. And we just don't want it. We just want to see it for who he really is. And so right now, we're going to respond to the presence of Jesus. And I just encourage you. I'm just trying to set the stage for the Holy Spirit. I encourage you. Do what you have to do to see Jesus rightly. It might get a little messy in here. It might look a little bit like the sinful woman in here tonight. I don't care. Do what you need to do to see God rightly. Rid yourself of whatever pride, whatever way you said God can't move, get it out. There's nothing God can't do. Any way you believe, any lie, maybe you believed in genie Jesus, maybe you believed in religious Jesus, maybe it was mean Jesus. All you think is God's condemning you and you're not good enough to be in his presence. He doesn't care about you. Get it out, it's a lie. He loves you. He knows you. He's bringing you in. He's drawing you in. Let him show you who he really is. Let the Spirit show you who he really is. Religious Jesus, you've gone through these motions. Service after service after service, not getting anywhere. Break up with service Christianity and find relationship Christianity with Jesus tonight. So everybody, I just want you to respond. These guys can can start singing. Um... And I'm just going to stay up here and just see what God does. He might reveal some scriptures to me. Um, Kylie, if you have anything, come talk to me. I know you were praying into tonight as well. But I just want to give God space to show you who he is. So do what you got to do right now. Lord, we just welcome you into this place. We just welcome you right now, God, to show us who you are. We want to respond.